a preacher in the 1800s in England. And he said this, and I think it's worth uh, quoting just so that you, again, are reminded or uh, I should say inspired um, and motivated to hear the word of God preached this morning. He said this, I have a great jealousy on this head, never to speak more or less than I believe to be the mind of the spirit in the passage I am expounding. My endeavor is to bring out of scripture what is there and not to thrust in what I think might be there. That is really the goal of preaching, isn't it? That it's not Jesus, which means that I approach the Bible, and we could do this in our own Bible studies, as we look at the scriptures, and just because of life experiences and everything that happens to us, it's easy for us to say, oh, that's there, I want that to be there, and that is what God is saying, but rather exegesis and saying, we come to the scriptures and say, God, what did you mean by this? What is the meaning of scripture? Not what, what do I think the meaning is, but rather, God, what do, you th- what do you believe the meaning is? What was the intended purpose of this passage? And really, in this church, we intend to preach it that way, that everybody would walk away knowing this is the meaning of the passage. And when you know that meaning, you're able to then, because uh, the scriptures have so many, so many implications and applications, because everybody here is, has a different life. Everybody here is walking a different walk. And it would be impossible for me to sit down with every person or to just take all of the sermon to just give you what I think is the application for your life and only one aspect of your life, which is very complicated. So really what the purpose of Sunday morning is, and many people ask, what's the purpose of Sunday morning? Do I need to go to Sunday morning service? Can I just go to life group? The answer is always, yes, you need to come to Sunday morning. And the reason is, is because not because we're interested in taking people's attendance, we could care less about that, but rather the point is, is that you get the word preached to you. Your life group leaders cannot do that. They're not skilled at that. They're not trained at that. Although they facilitate wonderful discussion, they facilitate a great community and fellowship, but they cannot preach the word. They can read the word. We can discuss and break down the word for, and, and discuss how that is being applicable to our lives and the implications of it. But certainly that you are missing out on the, the word being preached. And that is so important uh, for us in today's world. We have preaching happening to us everywhere, right? You turn on the news and they're preaching to you. You go to class, they're preaching to you. You talk to different people on the streets, and it's interesting. You talk to strangers, and they just want to preach to you. Preach to you their ideology or their way of what they think is God. But rather, we need to go back to the scriptures, and we need to pray for our leaders, especially those who preach and teach, so that the word of God is being exposited for you so that your life would be ultimately transformed. Amen? All right, now we can get into the passage. All right, so Acts 20, this is part three uh, of this short little passage of the farewell address of Paul. And really, a lot of times I like to write on the top of my paper that I'm using as notes, what is the aim and purpose of today's message? Like, what is the point of it? When you go home, you should be able to tell your neighbor in the car saying, that was the point of the message. This is, you could go back to the notes and get the nitty gritty and all the little details, but ultimately, what are you getting from this? And today, 
I want to just give you part three of Paul, Paul's leadership farewell to the Ephesian leaders. He's leaving, and he's leaving for good. He won't be back in Ephesus. He's writing, he'll, he'll write a letter, obviously, in prison uh, to the church. Uh, circular letter is what they call it, uh, both to the Colossians and the, uh, in the, in the city of Ephesus. And basically, uh, you could read that uh, in your Bibles in Ephesus. You can go back to those six uh, short chapters and read about what Paul, Paul's heart for that church and his exhortations. Uh, but the point today is if you had only a, f- a few minutes left, really, uh, with, your beloved, with your beloved life group or your people that you lead, what would you tell them? It's, it, you don't have a lot of time. You don't have a lot of space. You, if if you know, you're dying on your deathbed and you bring in your family and you want to tell them something, your words are, every word's going to count, right? Maybe you've experienced that even with grandparents or uh, we were at a wedding recently and the grandma couldn't come and, and she got to just uh, share a, you know, a little uh, sound bite of, uh, of encouraging the bride and the groom. It was precious. It wasn't a dry eye in the room, I don't think. Those are uh, sometimes can be the, the, the last words, those, those very few words can be so impactful in a person's life. And now we find really Paul's letter uh, uh, to them, a, a, a physical, uh, he says, you know, you have, Corinthians says you have letters on your heart. He's giving his heart. And now we have that transcript here before us in the inspired word of God. And so I'm not gonna read the whole thing. You can go back to the last few messages, but I'm gonna pick up in verse 28. It says here, be on guard, and then we stopped. <laughs> Last week, if you remember, what we were talking about is the first thing you want to make sure uh, that, uh, that Paul, he wanted to make sure his leaders understood is, please guard your relationship with God. I think all of us could say in every season, we could up our Bible reading and up our prayer. Amen? I know I can. I mean, every season, I'm like, Lord, And it's not that you go around beating yourself up. I'm never enough. I'm never enough. Oh, I shouldn't do, you know. It's just, we could always get more of the word and we could always get more in fellowship with the Holy Spirit and with the Father and with Jesus Christ. Amen? And so last week we talked about the importance of intimacy with God and making sure we cultivate that and protect that because I'm telling you that the enemy of our soul, Satan, will distract us from him and his word and fellowship with him. And so my doctor the other day told me I have to do 10,000 steps a day. I'm approaching 40, unfortunately. You probably can tell my head and, and you know, the wrinkles on my face um, that I'm getting older. <laughs> uh, but I started the church at 29 years old, uh, which was uh, crazy when you think about that. And so a lot of the guys that I'm investing in now are 29, yeah, almost approaching 29, which is, which is kind of crazy when you think about how fast time goes. But my doctor said 10,000 steps. I'm thinking, do you know how hard that is? That's not easy. So I'm running for a half hour, and then I'm like, what do I got to walk four hours after that? There goes my whole day. So I'm asking, uh, I need a Fitbit, and, uh, and my iPhone will do, I guess. But it doesn't, you know, you just move this way, and it's like they just say that you walked six steps, so it's a little uh, deceiving. <laughs> um, but, you know, I looked at it as an opportunity to protect my relationship with God and even use that more as a prayer time. And just said, hey, I could get more prayer. You know, God said, hey, look, you're getting older, yes, and you need to, we need to make sure you're moving around and, 
you're a little bit more sedentary because of computer and you're in school and all those things. And so you have to make sure you're getting around uh, and use that time wisely to pray. And so again, guard that relationship with God. All right, number two, or I should say number three is feed the flock, but we'll get there here in a second. So verse 28, be on guard for yourselves and all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. You know, first of all, God, not only, I mean, we all know this, that God the Father, he is our shepherd. In fact, in Isaiah 40, verse 11, it says, like a shepherd, he will tend to his flock. This is God. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will great, or gently, listen, gently lead the nursing ewes, which is baby lambs. And I love that picture because he is a loving, tender father. Does he discipline? Yes. Does he exhort us? Yes. And rebuke us? Yes. But ultimately, God is a tender shepherd. And even even, uh, with, you know, the blood tests and different things that I had and everything, just the doctor saying, look, you're going to have to do this, this, this. I looked at that as a tender shepherd saying, I want more of you. I want to, I want to be more intimate with you. I'm slowing you down even more because I care about you. He's a shepherd. That's what he does. And ultimately we have to know that that's who primarily takes care of our souls. Amen. If we real, if we don't realize that, then, then we're just going to look to man and man is fallen. He does give us under shepherds under the great shepherd, the father and Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus said he's the chief shepherd in first Peter 2 25. And then in John 10, he's the, she- he's the shepherd. He says, my sheep hear my voice. And what he's saying with that is he, they hear my word, my written word. It's not some intuitive uh, audible or small still voice. That's a misinterpretation of that passage. But he's saying that all my sheep, they will hear the gospel message and respond to me. And when they respond to me, they become my sheep. Uh, Legally, they become my sons and daughters. And so the shepherd is there for for you to feed you and protect you, to love you, uh, to guide you. And here's what it says uh, in Jeremiah 23, 2 and 3, that God raised up shepherds, even in the Old Testament. He raised up prophets. He raised up shepherds and priests and he raised up leaders. And this is what happens when you neglect, when they neglect their responsibility. This puts the fear of God in all leaders, right? Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who are tending my people, you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not attended to them. Behold, I'm about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds, declares the Lord. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock. He will take care of them. And then he will also hold the negligent shepherds accountable. And they, or he says, and and if then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their pasture and they will be fruitful and multiply you might be wondering what's an application for that. Well, that's pretty, pretty easy, right? You don't put your hope in man. 
God, if, if, even when shepherds, even if you've gone to a church where maybe a shepherd has uh, hurt you or neglected you or uh, whatever the case might be, and you might have an, uh, a temptation to uh, maybe look at God that way and say, hey, you know, because they were like this, God's like this, you know, I'm done or I get bitter towards God. You've missed the point. God is actually shepherding you. He will take care of both parties. He will discipline the negligent and abusive shepherd, and he will also take care of those who were neglected. Amen? So we put our hope in God. We put our hope in that Jesus is the chief shepherd. But at the same time, God has, whatever, for whatever reason, I mean, it's amazing. I don't know why he trusts us. I mean, sinful people like ourselves to put us in charge over a flock. But he does that and he shows us that in 1 Peter 5, 2 and 4, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. We have to understand that God calls shepherds, not us. In fact, he says that in Acts 13, 2, when they were ministering and fasting and praying, uh, they, uh, the Holy Spirit said, set me apart, Paul and Barnabas. Now, it's important that shepherds do not just call themselves into ministry because they feel like it. There's got to be the internal witness and the external witness. The internal witness comes from God, that sense of maybe I'm called. And that has to be verified by the church as the external witness of the church, the elders saying, okay, there's a gift in them and let's just wait, but let's not be too hasty and put lay hands on them. And it says in 1 Timothy 3, right? We read that last week. Let's be careful who we choose in leadership. Now, of course, we're going to make mistakes because we're human. But we need to be, we need to vet our people, make sure they have that internal and external witness. So back to 1 Peter 5, according to the will of God, it's God's will. And according to the will of God in a sense of how they are to shepherd the flock, it's not my church. It's not the elder's church. It's God's church. We've established that for multiple weeks now. And not for sordid gain. In other words, they're not in it for themselves. Whether it's money or fame or whatever it might be, control. But with eagerness, nor yet is lording it over those allotted in your charge, but proving to be an examples to the flock. And we've, over the past year, given you many examples of what a shepherd looks like. And when the chief shepherd appears, of course, that's Jesus, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And you can almost assume that you will also receive the discipline of the Lord when you see him, if you've neglected the flock. James 3 is clear. You shouldn't just assume to be teachers because you have a greater responsibility. Philippians 1.1 says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. In other words, Paul was constantly in the beginning of his letter saying to the overseers, to the, the, the deacons or to the, to the leaders of the flock. What was, he say, what was he not saying? He wasn't saying to the apostles and prophets because he understood that that was his duty. They're the foundation of the church. They wrote scripture. The prophets did in the Old Testament and the New Testament today, uh, or the New Testament in the first century, there are apostles who wrote scripture. 
And that's our foundation. That's what we use as sort of our, I guess you can say, employee handbook. So we're looking at it saying, okay, how do we shepherd this church? And then you are saying, how do we live out this life that God gave us? And so you need what? You need shepherds and overseers to help you and guide you into that. Amen? All right, 2 Corinthians eleven two. 2. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Listen to Paul's heart. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. This is the heart of a shepherd. I want you to know God. I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want you to go the wrong path. It's like, you know, sheep are timid. They're wanderers. They're dirty. They're helpless. Amen? We, we go to farms. We were just in Maine not that long ago. We, we watched these sheep and they versus the goats. And it's amazing how uh, they're pushing each other over to get food and they're rolling in the mud. And they're, I mean, they're all over the place and trying to feed on the mom. And another one, you know, basically tackles the other one. I mean, these things, I mean, they would just, if you let them out, they would just wander and you never see them again and they would be dead somewhere. They need a shepherd. You get the parallel? And, and, and if you think that not coming to church, you know, when you hear people say like, oh, I don't need church, I just need Jesus. Sure, I know you do need Jesus. But if you listen to Jesus, he would tell you that you need the church. <laughs> so apparently you're not listening to Jesus. I don't know who you're listening to. But Hebrews thirteen seventeen, obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. For this would be unprofitable for who? For you. If you mess with your leaders and you cause them harm and distress and, 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 and you talk bad about them, it, 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 it's, it's on you. It's the same with 1 Timothy, right? And two, he says, pray for your leaders, pray for the president, pray for the senators, pray for the mayors, pray for, why? Because so it would go well with what? With you. Isn't that interesting? You might say, well, you know, I just don't like them. I don't, I don't you know. Then it's not gonna go well for you because this is your church, this is your country. This is your city. Take initiative and pray. Take initiative and live righteously. And it will go well with you, not only, of course, in the city, but also in the church. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13, we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. This is what they do. And that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. It hurts my ears when we speak bad about leaders. Even when, you're, when you're, you'll find out with your kids or maybe you have kids and, and they're speaking bad about each other or you're speaking bad about other people and it just hurts your ears. You just, you realize it's not, that's not helpful for the unity of the family and the strength of the family and the church. And so much of, uh, you know, the news, I mean, you, just, you almost just can't watch it anymore, right? I mean, because it's just, they're always bashing somebody. It's just not helpful. 
there's always an element of truth there, but the way they model themselves as leaders will take you into a ditch. That's why you have to have shepherds to guard your heart, and the chief shepherd will do that through the word, but you need physical shepherds in the church to guide you in the way of truth. Amen? Jesus paid for the church with his own blood. I'm going to read this passage, and I think it's important that if you want, you can turn there to Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. There's a parallel here, of course, with husbands and wives, but really what Paul is wanting you to see is how Jesus loves the church. And this is what his heart is for you, for the church. This is what Paul's heart was to the Ephesian leaders. When they looked at him, they're saying, man, God loves us so much. He's given us these last words so that we could thrive. And last week we talked about Ephesus being in the book of Revelation and they were really about to be snuffed out by Jesus if they didn't turn the thing around. And of course, then we found out in the second century that they turned it around and they experienced a level of a revival. Now that church is not there today, so somewhere it went wrong. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her. That means set her apart. That means saying he wants to every day set you apart so that you look more like him. The goal of church The goal of preaching is for you to look like Jesus. Never, ever, ever lose sight of that. The goal is not for you to fix people, to fix leadership, to fix uh, people in your life group. Your goal is to always point people to Jesus. If somebody is sinning in your life group, or in your discipleship groups, you point it out. Why? Because if you don't, you're God's instrument in pointing out the sin. Of course you can do that, like so fast in your heart. But he chooses to use instruments, vessels, as it says in 2 Timothy 2, right? Noble vessels, people of character in your life to point that out so that you can point them again to Jesus. Guys, you always have to be sharing the gospel, but you don't want to just always pat people on the back because of fear of man. That's not going to help this church, is it? But equally, it's not going to help this church is to condemn people. When you point out sin, you must give them the remedy, which is the word of God and the gospel. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the what? With the word. That's your only tool. Not your intuition, by the way, the word. Not your feelings. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. There it is, the point of church, the point of relationship with God, the point of relationship with each other is so that we look like Jesus, we would be holy and blameless. Amen? We can go home now. (laughs) But unfortunately, we need to talk about this very important topic. Verse 29. I'll spend a little bit more time on this. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them, which literally means to rip apart. To rip apart. Therefore, be on alert, remembering that night and day, for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. This actually hurt Paul. In other words, can you imagine being so control, out of control? You're, you're controlless. You have no way. You, you, you got, if you go back to Ephesus, you're probably going to be killed. That's why he met in Miletus, most likely. And to be quicker and to move for, to Jerusalem with the, uh, with the offering for the Jerusalem church as he gets back to the city of Jerusalem for Pentecost. When you feel like you have not only last words, your last words, you're telling a community of people, your family, and then you realize, I'm giving them this, this encouragement, but also this warning that I have no control over because I, I can't be there anymore. You feel so helpless, right? He, it, it, Paul felt, probably felt so, help, like he's, I'm not gonna be with you anymore. I was with you for three years and this hurts me, but I, I'll just have to tell you this. I, I would be wrong not to. But wolves are coming. Wolves are coming. And I, I will say this, that, uh, you know, we, we spent a, a lot of time on this it, this last year, haven't we? And you're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, we have. Well, this should be, uh, not the last time you're going to hear this. I don't know why the church doesn't talk about this. I, I, I really, I, I'm baffled. Uh, because people, when people ask me, when people tell me like, why do, you, why do you talk about this so much? Because the Bible does. I talk about what the Bible talks about. Okay. I think that's pretty evident. I just want to talk about what God talks about. And if he talks about this a lot, then I'm talking about it a lot. And therefore, you should talk about it a lot. Because there might be some insight in our feeble, weak minds. We might have something, there might be something here for our, what? Protection. He not, sheep, uh, the shepherds not only feed the flock, they strengthen the flock. They, 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 they give you what you need to walk with the Lord, but they also protect you from savage wolves. They're savages. <laughs> I mean, this is straight up from the scriptures. And I use the NESB. This is pretty close. It's not the message translation. Savages. It's in the, <laughs> it's in the legit Bible. Um. But see this, it's, it's all over scripture. 2 Corinthians 11.4 says, for if one comes and preaches another Jesus, and there's many talking about other Jesuses, there's people doing that all over the place. This is what Jesus told me, really. I'm not sure that's Jesus. Well, you just told somebody about your Jesus. Whom we have not preached. We'll preach here, we'll preach the right Jesus here. But you're gonna hear another Jesus out there. And I'll tell you this, there are people that preach another Jesus even in here. And I'm not, I don't have a name or a you know, face to that. I just know that when Paul said the wolves are coming, I have to assume they might be here. They might be listening. 
on live stream. I don't know where, who's listening. Or you receive a different spirit which you have not received. There's lots of different spirits out there in there in the church. The church. Lots. Or a different gospel. There's a different gospels, right? There's different spirits. There's different Jesuses. There's different gospels. Prosperity gospels. Well, I have quite a list for you in a moment. <laughs> I won't get there in a I'll get there in a minute. But it says here, a different spirit which you have not received or a different gospel which you not accepted, you bear this beautifully. Galatians 1, 6, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. He's like, I'm baffled that you're even giving into this after I've spent time with you. I preached to you weekly. I preached to you daily. I, I was with you in the school of Tyrannus. I was, I was there every single day with you preaching. And I just want to let you know they're coming. They're coming. You remember how many times they followed Paul? They followed him in Thessalonica. They followed him in Berea. They followed him everywhere. In Lystra, right? And like Iconium. I mean, they were, you remember those? 13, Acts 13, 14, 16, 17. He just kept getting pushed out. These guys are all over the place. There, it's inevitable that you are going to, part of your Christian life, you're going to not only get fed with the good stuff, so that could increase your discernment, but people will try to bring you into a ditch by sharing with you these other gospels, other spirits, other Christs. Amen? Unfortunately. I don't like that. I... It's not fun to talk about, but as a shepherd, we remind our sheep of the thorns, right? The ditches, the dangerous waters, and of course, the wolves. Matthew 7, 15, speaking of that, beware of the false prophets who come to you in, in sheep's clothing. In other words, they look good, right? I mean, I doubt that we're, I mean, any one of you, I hope, if, if uh, uh, you know, a being came to you with horns and a pitchfork and a tail and just said, hey, I'm going to give you a lesson today. And you would just pull out your notebook and just start saying, man, this is interesting. And then go tell your friends. You just met the devil. But the devil is a little bit more cunning than that, isn't he? So he disguises himself is angels of light, doesn't he? And he blinds people in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 so that people won't see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. They're savages. John Calvin said this, the pastor ought to have two voices, one for gathering the sheep and the other for warding off and driving away wolves and thieves. That's church, Right? I mean, you don't talk about it every single time. There's so much to talk about in this book that has 66 books of the Bible are in it. It is so much, so much information. It takes us more than a lifetime. And thankfully, we'll have all of heaven to explore God and his word that never fades. But then sadly, what happens is in the church today, we, we begin to coddle evil, don't we? Because of fear of man. We coddle the evil and we neglect the sheep. But not in this house. 
not in this house. We will confront evil. We will confront the wolves. And it won't be easy. And they will always flare up. The devil doesn't like confrontation. We can see that at the cross. But we have to do that here. Because if we don't, you suffer. We suffer as a church. Amen? So we need to grow in discernment, church. And the only way to grow in discernment is through the word of God. And that'll be my next point, but I just got to stay here just for a little bit longer because I want to unpack this a little bit more. Matthew ten sixteen. Behold, I will send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. In other words, we can't just hide in the house saying, oh, I don't want the wolf. You know what R.C. Sproul says? The church lives out the drama of Little Red Riding Hood every single week. <laughs> yes? And you know who's underneath the hood. You know who's underneath the hood. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as wolves. Amen? We've Be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Sorry. See, discerning church. There you go. That was not on purpose. It was a slip. But you caught it. And that's, that's what I love about a Berean church. You search the scriptures and you make sure that this is so. But the false teachers, they distort and they twist the truth. They, it says that they pervert the truth, right? But they also tear people away. It happens in households in discipleship houses, in households. It happens in your life groups. It happens everywhere. And don't be fooled by that. Don't be naive of that, okay? It happens everywhere. It will continue to happen in this church. We're never free from it. The moment you feel like, oh, this is a wonderful church. Couldn't get any better than this. Guess who's here? The wolf disguised as a sheep. I just want to come in and I heard this church is so wonderful. Now listen, we don't want to be cynical either. We need to love people. You know, the wonderful thing about Jesus said, the tares and the wheat will grow at the same time. We don't just go around and pluck, 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 pluck and thinking that we're, that's dangerous too, right? Because you'll, you'll disturb the wheat as well. You'll disturb people who are fruitful and we got to make sure that we do it with discernment. We do it with wisdom when we confront. But I will say, they are among us. And it would be foolish to think otherwise. No church is, uh, there's no exception. No church is immune. Not one. And your household's not immune. That might just come through. Your kids might be listening to something or watching something or hearing something at school or, you know, there's just, the wolves are always there to try to tear you apart from Jesus and his church. So don't be a hireling if you're an elder. You know what hirelings do? As soon as the wolf comes, John 10, they're out of there. It's too hard. You want to test a good shepherd? Put some heat on them and see if they stay. Second Peter 2 Turn with me there. We're just going to, this will be more like a Bible study, I guess. But 2 Peter 2, okay? This is, a, this is really important. We're going to look at this together because I want you to look at it yourself and see how important this is. I'm going to read 22 verses, but I'll do this quickly, okay? But 
False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing swift destruction amongst themselves. They will always be destroyed ultimately. Many will follow their sensuality and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. This is a fear of God passage. This lets us know what motives the false teachers have. They're sensual. They want to get in. They, they, they're, they're full of lust. They're full of greed. They're full of power, hunger. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the pits of darkness reserved for judgment, listen to the argument, and did not spare, spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood among, uh, upon the world of the ungodly, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that unrighteous men, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day, by their, law, by their lawless deeds, then, here's the point, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the flesh, flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. These people do not like authority. They will find every way to not meet, to not talk to you, because they know what they're doing. False teachers know what they're doing. Not all, I mean, there are some who, you know, prosperity teachers, maybe that's what they were brought up with and they, you know, I'm not just talking about prosperity. There's a long list I'll share with you in a moment here. If you're wondering, what is this false teaching? What does that look like in our day? But two things I want you to get from this, they despise authority. And God will not neglect punishment on their lives. He will, he, will bring it, he will bring about his wrath, no doubt. If he did it with Sodom and Gomorrah, if he did it with, with Noah in Noah's day, he brought about judgment, then he's certainly going to do it on those who hurt the sheep. Let's go on. Daring, self-willed. This is just describing them. They do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. They're arrogant. Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasonable animals born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed, suffering wrong as to the wages of doing wrong. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes revealing, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having heart trained in greed, accusing children, I mean, cursed children, forsaking 
the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he received a rebuke for his own transgression. You can't fool God. Remember, he, even the donkey spoke. For a mute donkey speaking with the voice of man restrained the madness of the prophet. God will expose. And here, this last uh, part of this, these are springs without water. You know what false teachers are? They're clouds without water. You know what that is? They don't deliver. They promise. They have the promise of these massive clouds. You know, it's like these big thunderstorms that flow into central Florida. I mean, these things come in and they're so scary and they're so like intense and we, we're in all of them, but they don't dump any rain. That's what he's saying. They're worthless. Don't listen to them. They will never deliver what you ultimately need. And that's why they pray in Africa and South America. They pray on, uh, on weak people. They come in with their prosperity message and ultimately they destroy a country. They destroy households. And this is happening right here in our country as well on YouTube every single day. There are myths driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved for speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in air, promising them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of corruption. They always promise freedom, don't they? Oh, you'll be free if you do this, 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 and this. If you go through this uh, inner healing gymnastics, then you'll ultimately be free. But here they're saying they're not free. They're not free. This is interesting. In other words, most of the testimonies that they say are false. I saw this grand healing. Nobody ever saw that. Isn't it interesting how many healings people see, but nobody legit ever sees them? It's amazing to me. Like, oh, you should have been here yesterday. Because yesterday there was like an amazing amount of healings. Well, bummer. I mean, if God is powerful, then you should be able to just do them every day. All day long. Every hour. But if you were here yesterday, you would have seen them and believed. Okay. Well, should I go on? I'm sorry. There's just so much. You could do a whole two or three messages on this. Promising them freedom while they themselves are slave to corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse in them than the first. In other words, they might experience a level of freedom to fool the flock. And then they go back. That's why a lot of times you see these guys, they rise to power so quickly and they're on top. And then all of a sudden what happens? Like Carl Lentz. Or Ravi Zacharias, so many of them just in public, boom, they crash. Like the many of them on TBN or you can go on and on and on and on and on. So many of them fall and they look good. Everything they say, they just, I mean, they're, and they even have some level of fruit, but then they go back to the even a worse state and make a fool of themselves and destroy everybody in their path or under their care for it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness this is more like a hebrews 6 they've tasted but they've not remained then having known it to turn away from the holy commandment 
handed on to them. In other words, they preach the Bible even to an extent. They know so much, yet they are misrepresenting Jesus' heart and they have a wrong spirit and they have a false gospel. It has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit. And a sow, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. It's pretty clear, isn't it? What happens to these guys? Now, if I had time, I would go through Jude, the whole book of Jude, which is only 26 or so verses, not that many. Um, But I'm not. You could read that later for extra reading. But it pretty much says the same thing. Peter and Jude uh, basically say the same things. Remain in Christ and and be careful of these uh, false teachers and make sure that whatever was handed down to you by the apostles, keep that. Remain in Christ. Make sure you have the truth and you hold on to it. It's so important, isn't it? The pastor in the 1800s said this, whatever is, o- is only almost true is quite false. And among the most dangerous of errors, because being so near truth, it is more likely to lead astray. Guys, we're talking about the subtleties. We're not talking about saying it's to believing Jesus is not the son of God. You wouldn't believe that at this point, Right? You believe just the subtleties to lead you just a hair off. And as shepherds, that's why it's important to pray for us as we lead the flock in this season. In a very confusing season, we have more information than we ever have before. And these heresies of old are finding its way back in the church. It's crazy. Nothing new under the sun. It just has a different form. But the same result is to lead you astray. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, false teaching can appear in many different forms, but we can divide them into two main sections. Sometimes it takes the form of a blatant denial of the truth and of the cardinal principles and tenets of the Christian faith, and we see that. But false teaching does not always take that form. There is another one. And that one here, it is not so much a denial of faith, not so much a contradiction of the cardinal elements as a teaching which suggests that something else is required in addition to what we have already believed. It's adding. It's adding. That's the problem. You don't just need the word. You need the intuitive voice. You need prophecies. You need you, you never could be satisfied. You need to see the whole problem with what is called the third wave movement. And you can look that up. It's a very dangerous movement. The whole problem with the third wave movement is they tell you when you go out and evangelize, you have to go out in signs and wonders. Why? Because the gospel is not enough. They will only believe if you see a miracle. And so now you have to make up miracles basically to get someone to believe and tell somebody that you know someone, that you know someone, that you know someone that got healed so that they will somehow believe instead of whatever happened to 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. Then I'll make nothing else known to you than what? Than Christ and him crucified. Very dangerous movement. Pastors in the 1800s said, uh, pastor in the 1800s says this, 
The minister fails because he is not vigilant. He allows his church to be torn to pieces because he is half asleep. He took it for granted that there are no wolves. He wants everything to be nice. No birds of prey, no robbers. And while he was drowsing, the enemy arrived. Right? Don't forget that. False ideas, destructive interpretations, demoralizing teachings came into his group, and he never knew it. He was interested, perhaps, in literary research. He was absorbed in the discussion contained in the last theological quarterly. Now, this is a little dated, but you can, we'll get to the more modern day stuff. And did not know what his young people were reading or what strange ideas had been lodged in the heads of the group of his leading members, his elders. There are errors which are as fierce as wolves and merciless as hyenas. They tear, tear faith and hope and love to pieces and leave churches which were once prosperous, mangled, and half dead. That's not what we want here, do we? But this happens everywhere, all across the globe. Half asleep shepherds. Just because, can I just say, I think it goes without saying, that there is no place for the fear of man in our leadership. No place. We can struggle with it. We can go to the Lord about it. But the goal is not to be nice. The goal is not to just try to keep the peace, which is just a false peace, by the way. So that at the end, we can have a once prosperous church, a vibrant church like ourselves, going on mission, seeing amazing things in our lives, then to be mangled and half dead. Who wants that? But if we don't listen to Paul's words that savage wolves will come into the church and they probably, he knew they probably are already there. They're already there. Now let me just uh, take for a moment and I want to write, you guys can write some of this stuff down and do your own research if you want. But beware of the false teachers. And I want to just give you a list of some of these. First of all, there's the heresies. And these are back in church history. You can study church history heresies. And if you want to do that, that's wonderful. And you want to take time to do that, that's great. But they attack Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. That's what they do all day long, right? Jesus is only God. He's not man. He's man, but he's not God, right? God the Father is not sovereign. He doesn't really know. I mean, these are all heresies of the past, right? I mean, and you, and you may not have like a name for it, but you might hear this. Also, the same thing with the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, just so many heresies uh, came. Uh, you could say this, that Joseph Prince, uh, not Joseph Prince, he's an other heretic, but Joseph Smith, uh, Joseph Smith, uh, Joseph Prince is a heretic, but Joseph Smith, in this, in this regard too, He's a heretic. Do you know who he is? He's the father of the Mormon movement. 15 million people deceived because of this strange encounter with God, which was not God. Uh, in fact, Muhammad had a, an encounter with God in a cave, and he started foaming at the mouth. 
If you have an encounter with God and you're foaming at the mouth, let me tell you something right now. It's not God. Ellen G. White, the founder of Seventh-day Adventist, she also had an encounter and started getting drunk in the spirit and falling all over the place. And Because they have to have these manifestations in order for people to believe them. If you, if you were like deceived and you had all these, you're like, I'm not, I'm not sure if I want to follow you. I don't know. Man, I'll tell you what. I saw Jesus. And afterwards, I was flopping all over the place. Well, in that case, then yeah, you know, then I'll come and follow you. What? Because we don't know the word. And so someone that has an experience like that deceives people and then starts to twist, right, pervert and twist the scriptures to sort of make it sound right to the hearers. And this happens, like I said, all the time. They're the Gnostics. These are people that have, I guess you can say, special knowledge. They have a, uh, hey, they have a back room. Hey, let's, um, you know, Let's just do normal kind of boring church like this. But then if you come on Holy Spirit nights, we could do fire tunnels. We could do all sorts of whacked stuff. That's Gnosticism. It's saying that I know something that you may not know. And if your hunger level would just go up just a bit, you can receive. False. Absolutely false. Charlatans. These people are all on TV, right? They have kind of crazy hairdos, beautiful smiles, lots of money. And they're telling you to come follow them because you will get rich. You will have lots of money. You will have your health that you've always dreamed of. You'll have everything that you always wanted in your flesh. They appeal to the flesh and they trick people into believing that if you believe this stuff and give just enough money, you will be healthy and wealthy also, right? And people buy this stuff all the time. There's also, do you know that also in the charismatic movement, they have their own prophets? And the problem with that is, is that not only do they have their own prophets, but then they train other prophets to do what they think is, how do you train a prophet? How do you train someone to speak in tongues? Isn't it a gift? You ever think about that? Just say these syllables. Just kind of get it out and we'll help you out. Just, you know, you just try to get it out. We'll help you. We'll just get the, get the spirit moving. Like you have to get the spirit moving. And just to put the music on, get everything going just right. Say the mantras. And then finally you can do it, even though it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. If it's a gift, then why do we have to have special training from special people? Does that make any sense to you? No. I hope you know I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, I'm just stating it what it is. And not only that, but also prophets is even more dangerous that, you know, you could start having dreams. You can, you can, you can have, you know, they'll, they'll train you on dream interpretation. And we've done a little bit of that and realized that was foolish because everybody has dreams. Everybody dreams. And I, if God were to put all his stake into communicating to you through dreams, I think he's in trouble. 
he gives us the black and white word. And sure, I'm sure there's a drink. Maybe confirm something every so wonderful, you know, I don't know. I, 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 there's nothing in Scripture, that, but I, we know that Scriptures, in the Scriptures, God does give dreams to people, to Daniel, to Joseph, to even Pilate's wife, saying, don't kill this man, <laughs> right? It was a warning. Smart woman. But it, he doesn't primarily speak that way. Yes, he had prophets in the New Testament, but they were to give the revelation. And you have to remember, they didn't have the word of God. They didn't have the New Testament. It's not like Paul said, turn to Luke 4 versus this. He didn't have that. He quoted, he quoted Luke. It was probably circulating, but not everyone had a Bible. So they had prophets that, that had signs and wonders and they were able to prophetically speak. And, and some of it became written scripture and some of it did not, but it was, it was the right revelation because God was saying, look, you don't have the fullness of scripture, but once the fullness of scripture came in the late 90s and AD, there was no need for that. Does that make sense? You have the written word now. That and you have in your Bible, you have revelation. You have the book of revelation that actually is literal prophecy that's not been done yet. I mean, that's pretty amazing. So we're always wanting to go to the prophet to get a word about what job you should have. You should just be reading revelation. So we don't look to man to give us some sort of word for our future. That was never what it was meant to be, even in the first century, by the way. It was always to reveal God. Always to reveal him. So there's false prophets. In fact, in Deuteronomy 13 and 18, it says, these are two, you can, you can know that this is a false prophet, hands down, by two, two different ways. And from Deuteronomy 13 and 18, this is very simple. Number one, if they lead you away from God, and many of them do, many of them do. The other one is if it doesn't come true, you kill them, not you. God will do that. But that's what the Bible says. They are to be killed. They are to be executed if it doesn't come true. Now, some of these guys will say, well, that was infallible prophecy in the Old Testament, the OT, but in the New Testament, somehow, God decided to, well, let's make it fallible. Just for kicks, for fun, so we can keep things sort of interesting in the church. Does that make any sense to you? What You show me a scripture that says that. Why would God, a loving father, do that to his church? Why would he allow people to stand up here and give you a prophetic word to tell you that COVID is going to stop today because we blow COVID away and, sit and call a heat wave, which the next day was almost, you know, 50 degrees and is a low. It was nearly snowing. So that was false. It's God's grace that he keeps these people alive. It's God's grace that, that, that whatever prophecies that were spoken in this church, so to speak, whatever you thought was the Lord, which was probably a not, it's by God's grace that we're all here today. And so we need to be humble with this, amen? But we cannot allow falsehood to come into the church. Because I'll tell you, you might, I've heard this said, well, that's so controlling. You know, the Bible, you know, you're just trying to control people with the Bible. Really? Am I? 
It's the most absurd thing I've ever heard. You know what's more controlling? Is me saying, I feel like God's telling you to break up. I feel like God's telling you to get this job. And then all of a sudden the ears perk. Rather than hearing the word, whatever job you have, glorify the Lord. Colossians 3, Ephesians 5. Still works today, doesn't it? Still works today. We don't want false teaching in our church. We don't want third wave movement in our church. I don't want the first wave or the second wave or the 90th wave. (laughs) I want the Bible central in our church and the Spirit of God to illuminate that. First John 4, you can run through those tests yourself and just go through that and test me. Test your, test your roommates, test your kids, test everybody. Test the things you listen to. It'll tell you exactly uh, what is of God and what is not of God. Also, you have people who just want to control people, who want to, uh, uh, it says that in Second Peter, they're just in it, in Jude 4, they're just in it for their own gain, for their own purpose. We, look, guys, People will come through those doors and they will shake your hand and smile at you and give you a bagel and even spread the cream cheese on it because they want to control people. Do you understand that? They're in it for themselves. And, and if we're naive, if we are naive, like everybody's just all good. We, we, we believe, uh, you know, ABC News and Oprah and everybody else and and that everybody's just good at the heart of it. No, they're wicked. They're wicked. And then on top of that wickedness, I'm talking about all of us, we're all wicked. And on top of that, the enemy will raise up false teachers to try to control people and take advantage of them. And you know what is worse? It says that they're in it for adultery. Do you want any men and women to come into this church to get their weasel their way in and smooth talk their way in to hurt our people, even sexually? What kind of a man would allow that to happen? Who would, who would do that? If you're a father and you're a, a man in your household, would you let any of your girls in the church just be manipulated? You're a coward if you are. You're a coward. And we're not looking for cowards. We're looking for men of God. Amen? Girls, find a man of God who will hold down the fort in the house. Okay? Amen? Please, don't find a wimp. Don't find a coward. Don't find one who is fearful of man. That is a trap. You want to you follow a trap? You want to follow someone who's in a snare? Really? I don't think so. I want my daughter to grow up and say, Dad had a spine, and he was able to speak truth. Even in the midst of chaos in this world. I want a wife who says, you know what? He might be a little edgy, but he speaks truth. Okay? And I know she, I know she says that. They also uh, bring dissension it's interesting that even on the somewhat the right stuff, because everything's so subtle, there's, there's a subtle, they, they just, they want to cause division on little nuances. Well, you know what? I don't really believe in the Lord's sovereignty. 
Read the Bible. Don't try to divide this church with Calvinism versus Arminianism. We don't need that debate. That debate already happened in Calvin 1. It, it is in the Bible, okay? There's, there's God's sovereignty and human responsibility. It's clear. I've, I've preached on it so many times. You still get that question because people don't want to be under authority. They want to be the man in control. It's very appealing. Arminianism is very appealing to man because they get to be in control. But God says it's, there's both. Let's not also divide over um, continuationism and cessationism, okay? I know those are big words. It's just job security for theologians, by the way. Um, uh, but the <laughs> they just sound good, don't they? Like, yeah, that, keep giving that guy the money. I don't know what, I want to do that. Yeah, um, But... What that means is whether the gifts ceased or not. Don't worry about that. Don't, you're, you're, people are so better. There's no apostles today? Oh my gosh. What, do you trust God to plant churches? Do you trust God to shepherd churches? Do you trust God that even though there might not be the modern day prophet as we know, but the word of God is enough? Really? You're going to finally figure out the old debate? Really? Hmm. I don't think so. There's a lot of pride in the church. There's a lot of pride. And I think we'd be best to honor leaders and to read. To read. There's lots of information out there. We put it on our website. You can go to the resource page. You can devour every resource on there. I encourage you to do that. I've given 10 or 11 websites. You can find books. Uh, you, can, you, you get lost. I'd be like, where, where did that guy go? I don't know. You just told him to go on the resource page. I mean, that's how it should be, right? Don't divide over this stuff. Learn something. Read. Educate yourself in the Bible. Protect your relationship with God. Pray. Don't think like you're a know-it-all because you sat there for two years. It, it, it doesn't make sense to me. I'm, I, I'm going through school now and I feel like I don't know anything. Do you ever feel like that? The more you know, the less you know. It's amazing how that is. Because uh, you, you don't, you're, you're not as ignorant. You start to learn, you're like, oh my goodness. And then you look back, you're like, wow, I was very prideful. I'm sorry, Lord. <laughs> I thought I knew everything. I thought I'd just stay humble. We need a humble church. God blesses a humble church. Remember the last time you read Peter and James? He opposes pr- the proud hearts, the haughty hearts. He actually hates the haughty heart. He says that in the Proverbs. It's the seven things I hate. One of them is he hates the haughty heart. Can you ask questions? Absolutely. Absolutely. Ask questions. But do it in a respectful way. Do it in a way that's like, hey, help me understand this. And we have elders to help understand that. If you can't get to one, then you can get to another and another, and it's okay. Just honor. And here I'll just list off a a few of the culture ones. Uh, People who want their ears tickled. Let me just share with you. There are so many cultural false teachings. I'm going to list these, and then we should move on here because we're running out of time. But seeker-sensitive preaching. You ever hear that? 
just pleasing the people, just trying to look like the world and try to reach them. They seeker sensitive. Uh, R.C. Sproul said this, that the, uh, in a seeker sensitive uh, church, the only one who should show up for service is God because he's the only seeker. In Romans it says, no one seeks God. No one does. What about emergent preaching? Emergent preaching is you got a wimpy pastor who doesn't have any conviction, and this is popular. Someone who's like, well, I don't know. I just, you know, I'm like, I don't know, maybe, maybe, what? You want a pastor like that? Makes you want to throw up. Just even thinking about it. Never has any certainty of truth. Always is, I don't really know. I, I, I'm not sure. We have to, I mean, look, guys, there are things that we're not sure about. Like, we don't know when Jesus is going to return. It's interesting, the same guys who say when Jesus is going to return have no other convictions anywhere else in the Bible. But you know what, G, what First John says? He says, I write this so that you will know. So that you'll know. So you can know. Therapeutic preaching. These are, this is preaching from felt need, for felt needs. Like uh, I heard a guy uh, saying, uh, you know, in Georgia, he's a mega church. If I said his name, you'd know exactly who I'm talking about. He basically says, and and also uh, in Southern California, there's many of them who said the same thing. Basically, every message you need to start with, not with the Bible, because people don't need to hear the Bible says, the Bible says, but you got to start every message with people's felt needs. People's felt needs. So I should start, okay, people are probably dealing with depression, so let me find a passage on that. and, And then people are struggling with their bills. No, 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 you need a high view of God. You need a high view of God. You need to co- go out of church saying God was speaking. I have the fear of God on my life. I, pro- I promise you won't cheat on your taxes when you have fear of God on your life. You're not going to blow it uh, in any area of your life when you have the fear of God on your life. Amen? And the only way to do that is to lift God up, not your felt need. What about CRT or any other critical theory? Social justice movement. It's a false gospel. Worldly wisdom. Just trying to use all the wisdom of the world and trying to use the vocabulary of the world, the vernacular of the world. doesn't work. Positive thinking. In other words, you don't want to ever mention sin because that might make people feel bad. We don't want to ever do that in church. Then, also, moralistic preaching. In other words, you just make people feel bad all the time, but you never give the gospel. You never give the, you know, you you never do. I mean, you know, some messages are always going to be a little bit more lopsided in one or the other, but but throughout the book of Acts, we read sermons of the gospel from Peter and Stephen and Paul. Pragmatism just means, you know, whatever is, uh, whatever works is true. And so, you know, if the fog machine works, it's true. If we, if we play the song and the, you know, we, we sing the same verbiage over and over and over and over and over again, because that works, then let's just keep doing that, even though it has zero depth. You see what I'm saying? 
I think that the pragmatism has taken over the church. We look to business world to try to figure out how to do church all the time. That's why we have, that's why most churches have a staff. They have the senior leader, which is AKA the CEO. They have the chief uh, uh, chief uh, financial officer, the guy who kind of handles that. You have the executive guy who kind of handles the administration. And then you have the directors. It's the business world, right? Because it works. But what, how does God set up the church? Shepherds, elders, plurality of leaders, no senior leader. Do not call me that. That's not what I am. I'm not the lead pastor, which is a more slick way of saying senior leader because no one wants to be called a senior. Now, I've heard stuff like that. Put on your website, lead pastor. Senior pastor just sounds like something like early 90s, but lead pastor sounds 21st century. It's because it works. And you've got to have the website. That's fine. Okay, old school. (laughs) Here we go. All right. All right. It's important for you to know the structure of the church. It's for, you, it's for you to know because you're going to get a lot of false teaching and a lot of people saying, well, this is what I, you know, I think this is what my church does. This is what we need to do in this church. No, you go to 1 Timothy 3. You go to Titus 1, right? You go to 1 Peter 5. You go to Acts 14. I mean, you can go on and on and on and on and on. We're going to do things the way Jesus wants us to be done in this church. Amen? Because we want his blessing. That's what I covet when I go for a walk with him. I'm like, God, I want your blessing. Sentimentality. It's just as like stories and narratives of just cute stories. Guy gets up here, you know, uh, skinny jeans, the nice thing, the Apple computer, the glasses, the, the, the soul patch, everything, you know, just like, hey, guys. My wife and I, last week, we were, uh, what? What are you, a comedian? We need a pastor. We need a grown man in the pulpit. Amen? We need someone who's going to rightly divide the truth so they are without shame. 2 Timothy 2.15. Prosperity preaching, which we don't have to go into, health and wealth. There's also, as I mentioned, third wave charismatic. We'll go into this more. But then I just want to mention uh, at some other time, but I just want to mention the four the biggest cults today, which you might want to write down. And if your friends and family are in them, you'd be cautious. Mormonism, Seventh-day Adventism, Christian science, and Jehovah's Witness. Those are the big four. And you could go on and uh, online, again, in even the book I wrote about the Bible. Uh, what, can I trust the Bible in there? There's resources in there, but one of them... Uh, I give a, a resource if you want to study that, the four cults, the four major cults, you can study it and, and learn how to refute that and have conversation. I think that would be uh, really helpful if we had more people 
that are knowledgeable in these things and so that we can spread the wealth around the church because these are, these are actually a pretty big deal in our country. All right. Priority number five. Okay, I know that we're, we're about to close here, so we're just going to give this, uh, this last one and then we'll be done, okay? Or last two and then we're done. So how do we actually get out? This is, the, this is a quick point. How do we actually overcome false teachers? I'm going to give you one way. One way that will serve you for the rest of your life. It says this. John 17, 17. Jesus prayed this before he died. Sanctify them in the what? Truth. The only way that you will overcome falsehood is by the truth. And where do we get truth from? Jesus in his word. Sanctify them in the truth. He says, Father, your word is truth. Your word is truth. Not a friend. Not the guy on TV. Not my own intuition. But the word of God. You subject yourself to the word of God. I love what Luther said. The Catholic church and the Pope are not the authority of the church. The Bible is. And he had to run for his life virtually until he died. J.C. Ryle says this, what is the best safeguard against false teaching? Beyond all doubt, the regular study of the word of God with prayer for the teaching of the Holy Spirit. The Bible was given to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. When Psalm 19, 119. The man who reads it all right will never be allowed greatly to err. It is neglect of the Bible which makes so many a prey to the first false teacher whom they hear. They would have us believe that they are not learned, quote, and do not pretend to have decided opinions. The plain truth is that they are lazy and idle about reading the Bible and do not like the trouble of thinking for themselves. Nothing supplies false prophets with followers so much as spiritual sloth under the cloak of humility. Know your word. It is your responsibility in this life to know the Bible. But to never use it as a weapon against people. And to never use it as a manipulation tool. To never, I don't just go around the house and, hey, Nicole, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. I trust that she is walking with Jesus. I trust that she's walking with the Lord. And yes, maybe we need to remind ourselves, remind our kids often as they're growing up, spend time with God, spend time with you. Do you do quiet time? Do you do quiet time? Because I want them to be discerners. Because I won't always be with them. And I will one day be on my deathbed and I will have to tell them a few things. To leave them with a few words. I'll tell you what, I won't be telling them Make sure you love the Cubs. First Peter 2.2 2 says, Like newborn babies long for pure milk of the word, so that by now you may grow in respect to salvation. You long for pure milk? First Thessalonians 2.13, For this reason we constantly thank God when you received the word of God which you heard from us. You accepted it not as the word from men, but for what it really is, the word of God. Paul understood that he was even speaking scripture. All scripture. 
I'm sorry, which also performs its work in who, you, in who believe. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for what? For teaching, reproof, correction, training, and also, uh, and also that you may be equipped, adequately, adequately equipped to do all the work of God, which includes discernment, sharing the gospel, discipling one another, loving the sick, pastoring the flock. Second Peter three eighteen. grow in the knowledge of, Grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is something that never ends. Some of you guys are, you know, going to, to do 2.0, ADS 2.0, which we've affectionately now call 1.5. But, uh, but, you know, there are times when, you know, I get this impression, like, you know, people are like, man, you know, I, I don't necessarily need to do it. You know, and we have conversations about that. I don't know about you, but I, I, I don't know which book to decide to take off the shelf half the time. And you tell me, I don't know if I need it. You know what it is? Just call it pride. Just call it pride. You'd be better off just admitting it. It's pride. It's pride. To not grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ because you think you know enough already is Pride. I don't know which book to read. I'm having a hard time in my office trying to feel like, well, do I put this in the bag tomorrow to California or this one? Should I put this one in or this one? I want to know more of God. I want to know more of God. Don't you? Unfortunately, I, I don't have time to go into the last priority. Um, I'll just read the passage because it's worth reading, and they're going to do 21 when I, uh, in these next five weeks. So let me just finish. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are being sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver, gold, or clothes. Paul wasn't in it for the wrong for some sort of financial gain. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Amen. And when he'd said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. This is his last words in person. Before the wolves came to tear up the flock, he said, look, I wasn't in it for any selfish gain. I was in it, I'm self, selfless, Paul said. I, I'm not in, First Timothy 3, 3, I'm free from the love of money. First Timothy 6, 8, and 10, the love of money is the root of all evil. Paul knew that. I'm not in it for anything else. He wept with them because he knew he loved them. He would rather be with them. And I want 
shepherds like that in this house. And I, I know that as I spend time with guys, uh, you know, we have uh, a team of 12, including myself. Um, and I don't think it's a coincidence, you know, as Jesus had 12, Jesus is leading this church. He is the head of the church and he's leading us 12 guys. And my prayer is that there wouldn't be one Judas. No, but we just, we pray that they would be humble. You need to pray for them, pray for us, pray for the leaders of the church, that we would just continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of God, that we would continue to say with Jesus, it is better to give than to receive. It is, uh, we want to warn the flock. We want to feed the flock. We want to be there for them to serve your needs. That's why we are here, to serve you. We love you. I love this church. There's so much fruit in this church. I, I, I can go on and on and on about how many, and I just don't want us to go the other direction. And so Paul said, you got to warn. I got to warn you because you then have to warn your flock while I'm gone. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, let's, we're, we're going to do, we're going to do communion. And so, uh, first Corinthians 11, we find that passage again, and I will, uh, go ahead and invite those who need to come up or, uh, you guys can bring the tables down or however you're going to do it. I think we're going to do it the same way. I, this, this crowd right here will come down, uh, and, and grab the, grab the communion and then, uh, flow down the middle aisle. So it's kind of like the, everyone's flowing down the middle aisle and back to their seat. And so why don't we go ahead and prepare for uh, communion this morning? And we're going to try to do it once a month. So I, I believe it is important, but even more important than that, I, I think it, it's important that you examine yourself. First Corinthians 11 says, examine yourself because there are many who are sick among you and dead. And so what, what he's saying is, do not take the communion flippantly. Do not take it as an unbeliever. Do not take it uh, flippantly. And, and it says also, it says, don't take it if you're just hungry and you just want a little bit of bread. Eat a meal first before you come. Eat your breakfast first is what he's saying. Now, if you have hunger pangs and you're like, well, can't touch it. Don't look at that legalistically. He's just saying you're not eating that for nourishment physically you are uh, to fellowship with, with God and remember what Jesus did for you, that he died on the cross to wipe away all of your sin. And so if there's any conviction from this message, the wonderful and beautiful thing is, is there's provision for forgiveness through the shed blood. And in Hebrews, it says that there needed to be the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And what that cup represents is the blood of Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, the one who came, who is promised, the promised Messiah who came and lived a perfect life that you should have lived. And when you listen to the word and you listen to the things and you're feeling the conviction from the Holy Spirit, as it says in John 16, if you're feeling that conviction, you're like, man, I just feel so uh, worthless. I feel so heavy. I feel like I, I, I just want to ask for forgiveness. I feel like I've messed up good. I'm glad you feel that way. Because what you do with that is you go to the cross and you say, Jesus, thank you for shedding your blood and covering me with your perfection. And because of that, I'm free. And he broke his, his body, was literally lashed and beaten 
and the, the nails went through his skin. Why? It says in Isaiah 53, it was for your healing. And he wasn't talking about physical healing per se. The, the true meaning of that text is he's talking about your spiritual healing. He's talking about your reconciliation with the Father. So you could go home clean. You can go home, home, clean, forever. Amen? What a wonderful gospel, isn't it? But I want you to examine yourself, uh, and I think it's worth doing that just for a few minutes, and don't take the communion until you've done uh, that business with the Lord. Amen? So let me pray, and then we can take communion. So, Father, thank you so much for...